Welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast for the 11th of December with myself, Andres Vantanar, and my fellow analysts, Harry Morgan and Peter White. In this episode, we discuss the UK Climate Change Committee's new roadmap, Greece's plans to abolish coal-fired power, QuantumScape's solid-state batteries, and the rise of electric vehicles in Europe. What do we think of the Climate Change Committee? I'm never quite sure what I think of those. I mean, is the is the UK lucky to have it and the government's got a guiding light, or is it um, mostly fake news? Harry, you wrote the story. Yeah, I know we've been pretty critical about um, the Climate Change Committee in the past. There's often a, a feeling that there's members on the board that have got quite heavy fossil fuel interests, and it means that there's, it's difficult to get sort of ambitious targets through. But I have to say, I think the sixth carbon budget they released this week is actually pretty good. I think it's very ambitious. It strikes a nice balance between what the government has already pledged in the near term with what it thinks it can do in the long term. So the, the Climate Change Committee essentially were responsible for this 68% reduction by 2030 we saw at the start of the week that the British government announced and in the sixth carbon budget they're saying that it should be a 78% reduction by 2035. I think we hear all of these reduction targets all the time and it's quite easy to get lost in those figures but the climate change committee has been good in the fact that it's really laid out steps to do that I mean for example it's saying how long is this? Is this a thousand page report, really? It's a thousand pages worth of material. So it's I can't, I can't say I read it all word by word. By word. Um, but yeah, it was it, it's it's comprehensive and it, it does lay out really significant steps for us to actually reach net zero. Things like by 2025, all boilers being hydrogen ready. Um, it puts slightly further on targets for offshore wind. So rather than just 40 gigawatts by 2030, it's saying we should have 100 gigawatts by 2050. And it's got things in there like consumer change as well. So it's saying by, uh, I think it's 2050, there should be some element of societal change where we're eating 20% less meat and the meat that we are eating is of higher quality and being transported less far across the world, basically. Now, just just apropos of nothing, just what does everyone feel about that? Shouldn't the institutions like the electricity industry and the uh, and, and the mining industry shouldn't they be the ones making changes do we really believe that humans in their daily lives are going to make changes that are going to make a difference and stick with those changes do you think that's the right thing to ask would you think that we should just be trying to use science to make sure nobody has to compromise on their current lifestyle my personal feeling on it is that changes need to happen from the bottom up to a certain extent. I think things like eating less meat, for example, is a good sort of gateway to widespread consumer knowledge on climate change uh, and potentially then encouraging more people to buy electric vehicles. And it is sort of a almost a pandemic thing. I know that so I eat much less meat now because a lot of my friends eat, eat much less meat. So I think those sort of changes mean that things propagate much more quickly. And I think it will be really key to things like deep electrification, which is actually what the Climate Change Committee has said will be the largest part of our decarbonisation. I, I would suspect that if a lot of people are eating less meat, that the meat industry's response to that is to make the same amount of meat and just make less profit. You know, so until they're hit with some form of carbon tax, I can't see that they're going to make any changes. One of my sort of favourite things from the report as well is that Compared to maybe this time last year, the report's actually saying that natural gas won't be a transition fuel um, and that we should have passed our peak for natural gas in the UK already. Um, and it's saying that we should have a complete phase out for, of unabated natural gas by 2035. Obviously, there's small print there saying that natural gas with carbon capture will continue beyond then. But the premise of it is is good. And I think it will sort of drive the change in the right direction. 
um, and then leave room to sort of accelerate further on. I think that was the the big sort of take home from the report was that while it might not be most ambitious in certain certain aspects, like it's only saying there'll be a 20% reduction in aviation emissions by 2050, the change that it's suggesting to the government needs to be acknowledged as realistic in the near term. I mean, there'd be no point saying 100% meat-free diet in 2050 because governments wouldn't be able to act on that at all. But having things that they can act upon now, the change can sort of start. Yeah, I know. The government can ban meat, but they just get voted out of office. Yeah, exactly. I I was reading uh, some uh, uh, climate change denier website. It was a terrible idea that um, wind and solar were more um, labour intensive than coal and gas. uh, And in some way that that meant that they were less good for the economy. And I was thinking, yeah, instead of buying coal from another country, you pay workers in your country. That's brilliant. How can they see that as a negative? Yeah, definitely. I think the whole energy transition will see um, sort of the globalisation of, of the energy markets really sort of narrowed down into more domestic sort of self-sufficient markets where local jobs are created and maintained. Generally, when, when that comparison comes up, it is about, oh, the, the existing coal jobs, like I was writing about Greece this week, and they, they're trying to have some efforts to be nice to the existing coal uh, employees when they lay them off and give them some compensation. So will the net effect actually be more employees in some cases? Well, they, they shouldn't be giving them compensation. You, know, you shouldn't com- compensate people for taking their jobs away. What you should do instead is give them another job. I mean, the Germans have it absolutely right. The whole coal industry, they, they, they're basically saying, oh, we will invest more money in solar in this area where we're closing the coal plant and we'll give priority to the people that that worked at the coal plant for jobs and we'll give them training if they don't have the qualifications. If you do that up front, right at the beginning of the conversation, you've solved all the problem, you've taken away all the resistance. It's great. I mean, I think that's why they they, they do so well. They they think things through the Germans and they're quite socialist dare I say it, if, if there's an American listening, uh, uh, bleep that uh, word. It, and they, they try and look after all parties, investors, shareholders, employees, and and the community. Um, so let's go on to Greece. So, so talk me through, uh, I really liked that piece on Greece because we've sniffed around Greece as, oh, there's lots of nice wind in the Mediterranean. There's, there's you know, the place is, is a sun trap. We should. They should be great on solar. They should be great on wind. We're not really seeing much. So, so tell tell us what's been holding it back, Andres. Well, uh, what's been holding it back? Well, like a lot of European countries, uh, certainly its solar industry kind of died for several years and went nowhere from about 2011 or so in, in Greece's case, and they only just brought it back with a with a policy change to bring in this thing called feed-in premiums, which uh, to replace feed-in tariffs in 2016. So since then, it's it's sort of reviving. Uh, but wind wind never really died. It's been very consistent. But France, we're already, they're already 90% non-carbon producing electricity because of their nuclear program. So they don't feel any pressure to kind of bolster solar. Uh, but Greece is is the other way the other way around. It's uh, almost entirely uh, fossil fuel, isn't it, at the moment? It, it, uh, is, is coal it's, mined in Greece? Is it? Does it have a coal field there, or is it? Uh, it is. Uh, in in the northwest, I believe. Um, oh right, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, in in western Macedonia and in the Peloponnese, uh, they oh, have really? two coal, coal areas, both coal mining and coal plants. But I actually, knew that. it's uh, I think it fell actually a lot very recently, a bit like Spain. So it uh, it was thirty three percent of the total was coal in twenty eighteen, and now it's 
10% this year. So that's partly the, the pandemic, but I think it's fallen by about half apart from that. But, so, so gas but these held... countries are, are often structural is the problem, mm. that they have a monopoly power provider and they make their own decisions. Mm. Uh, there's no consultation with the community. If you go and get distributed energy uh, resources and you try and sell that energy, you're not allowed to. You, the rules are stacked against you and you can't. You haven't got competition in the energy market. Companies, countries like Greece suffer from that. If, if people could have, I mean, you think of how many islands they've got with a significant population, you know, a couple of hundred. They've got to build connectors to the islands to give them electricity. Why wouldn't you just have a solar farm oh, that's a bit so of storage? Yeah, it just makes no sense at all. Absolutely, yeah. And and a lot of those islands are quite mountainous. Uh, Some of them have um, forests growing on them. Well, put it in the water. You know, the Mediterranean barely moves. It's it's not difficult. Um, It's just that structurally there's no impetus to change the political uh, situation around power. And and I think this article gave a feeling that that is slowly changing. Yeah, yeah. The, the PPC is, I think, going to fall from three quarters market share to two thirds. And they're, they're privatising various bits. It, it's still going slowly, but they're privatising parts of the grid. I think I think on the islands, actually, you might have more onshore wind rather than solar because uh, maybe because of the land constraints uh, and the no, sort no, of. You're right. It would, it, would suit, it would suit the area. Yeah, they're now looking to completely abandon coal in 2028. And from 2023, they'll only have one coal plant left. And then in 2030, they'll have like uh, 15 gigawatts of wind and solar combined. It's quite big for a country of 10 million people. That's quite a lot of power. So, Peter, I've just been reading this article about QuantumScape, which is a company that is worth $21 billion. Overnight. Overnight? Yeah, well, so in September, they did a reversal. They've been going for 10 years. Okay. And they are out of one of the American universities. They did a reversal. People are very uh, suspicious in America. Investors are very suspicious of, of anybody who reverses into uh, a existing public company uh, or a shell company. Shell company. And, and they're also very suspicious of what's called blank check um, funding. This is a product of both. The, the basically, QuantumScape reversed into a public vehicle, uh, so it didn't have the costs of paying for an IPO. It, it, it basically did a reverse takeover, i.e. the public company took it over, but it, it ended up with its shelves, only most of the shares. Uh, and then Kensington Capital Acquisition Company was formed as a blank check company to go look for someone to invest in, and of course went and partnered with QuantumScape. I imagine there's some uh, work behind the scenes. It's been long. It's been a long-term, in a long-term relationship with Volkswagen since about 2012, and so it's it's basically been waiting for this next generation of lithium batteries, which solid is solid state. state. Yeah. Right. I think there's there's various. Uh, benefits to it that are that are well known uh, and there are various hurdles that are also well known and you're going to find this I mean there was another piece in one of the uh, newspapers this morning about uh, another company that's just come out with a solid state design they've actually got a product already that they're they're pushing on the market I'm not sure Harry are are they lighter is it is it a higher energy density 
more predictable? What what is it about solid state that's that's the holy grail? I think it's generally the simplicity in the lifetime of the battery, um, and I think the fact that it's is less likely to degrade. I think having liquid electrolytes as well is lower energy density, so they're generally just higher performing, more safe battery, which is probably going to be cheaper in the long run if you can. Um, if you can drive out economies of scale, it just generally solves a lot of the problems that sort of the electric vehicle manufacturers are having to worry about in terms of batteries at the moment. To be honest, I thought your analysis, Harry, of no deal Brexit is, was perfectly good. But I, I am, like anyone else from the UK, sick of hearing anything to do with Brexit. Um, <laughs> yeah, was, the big news from it was that there is no real news from it as well. It wasn't a... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the the UK did trigger that other piece I did on EVs, their November numbers. We are seeing this now throughout the whole industry. And in fact, since I wrote the article, I've looked at another five or six countries. Invariably, everyone says, oh, car sales, they're down. Yeah, but EV sales, oh, they're up. They've doubled. If you double in a down market, what does that mean for next year when when maybe it's not such a down market or it's not even a down market? Does that mean you'll double again? By the end of 2021, everyone will know the answer to that. It's our job to kind of know it now. <laughs> if you go from 3% of all cars in the market are EVs in 2019 to 10% are in 2020, does that mean it's 17%? Or is it three times? Does that mean it's 30% in 2021? But even taking it at 17%, I, it grows us by the same amount as it grew this year. Every single forecast on electric vehicles in the world then underperforms by a huge margin. So uh, I started with the UK numbers, I then checked the the, uh, French and German, it turns out that every country in Europe has the same issue, apart from Italy that had sold almost no electric vehicles and was selling methane vehicles. This year they jumped from almost 0% to 2.1% of cars are EVs. So they're lagging a year to two years behind everyone else because their their industry went in a different direction but even so it looks like it's going to catch up and it's going to go the same way so we just see this huge block in europe headed for electric vehicles 